Well, today, kind of sad because we're ending our series called The Chosen. Many of you have seen the uh, episode eight already, and that's the focus of our message today. It follows up the appointment Jesus had last week with a man named Nicodemus. Um, it's a very different kind of appointment, but Jesus has these two great conversations with people that are very, very different. One's a man, high-ranking Jewish leader. The other is a woman. She's not even Jewish. And yet, uh, she, does, she has no clue Jesus is coming to meet her. You know, I find it ironic that, that oftentimes we may enter a meeting and not even know we're in a meeting because someone will arrange a conversation and before we know it, there's an agenda. I remember one time when I sat down with a couple who wanted to help the church, help the church be healthy and good stewards, and before long I found out it was a multi-marketing, uh, multi-level marketing pitch. And, I, and they said, here, you can do this, it's good for your church, it's healthy products, they're organic, and, and you can even make some money on the side, Pastor, you know a lot of people. And I said, yeah, I have committed to never get involved in a program like that and leverage my position as a pastor, but God bless you in what you're doing. But I would say that, that Jesus does have a, market, a multi-level marketing plan to reach the world, and it's with a better thing, and it's free, it's the gospel. And so today might be an appointment for you. Maybe you came today, didn't know that Jesus was wanting to meet you here in a very significant way. I hear oftentimes where, where people will encounter a moment where they'll say, Pastor, I, I had no clue when I came to church today this was going to happen to me, but it did. You know, maybe they choose to get baptized. Maybe they, they come up for prayer. Maybe God awakens them to something in their life or comforts them. Or sometimes they get a, you know, a kick in the pants, like a wake-up call that they need to do something. You know, it's, it's those moments where you sort of get ambushed by the Lord. I had one of those moments this week. I was looking for an envelope to mail something to my sister. And so I went downstairs and I knew we had a padded envelope somewhere. And I opened up a drawer and there's an envelope. And I said, oh, I remember that. It has my mom's name on it. My mom passed away um, a couple years ago. So I opened it up and the envelope, I wrote on the back of this card, uh, Mom, happy Mother's Day. Um, it was so nice to have you last weekend. Um, that was nice for all of us. We pray that you enjoy your special day and continue to enjoy being a mom. And she had just visited us to see her latest great-grandson being born, Rowan. Well, I was going to send it to her, and then for some reason, I, I, uh, this beautiful card, Mom, open it up. I didn't notice the top, wishing you a beautiful birthday. It's not a Mother's Day card. <laughs> so, it's not a Mother's Day card. So I stuck it back in the envelope and says, I'm going to send it to mom on her birthday. And I forgot. That would have been her last birthday. I just started bawling. You know, I didn't grieve when my mom died. I was filled with gratitude for God taking her in such a sweet way. And I've always wondered, like, God, I didn't even hardly cry when mom died. I was glad she went to be with you. She was 92 years old. She went peacefully. What more could I ask for? And I never really grieved. And then for about 10 minutes, I just bawled. I wailed. I said, Mom, I miss you. And, and you know, I felt cleansed after that. It felt healthy. And it felt good to get that out. And have you ever had a moment where, like, I had no clue that was waiting for me when I got downstairs. And I just told someone, like, a week ago, you know, I never really cried much when my mom died. But then that happened. You know, maybe today is that day for you. Because that's the kind of day it was for this woman in Samaria. We're going to open her story in the book of John, chapter 4, starting with verse 4. It says, now when Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard that Jesus was making and baptizing more disciples than John, although Jesus himself did not baptize, but only his disciples, he left Judea and departed again for Galilee. And he had to pass through Samaria. He came to a town in Samaria called Sychar, near the field that Jacob had given to his son Joseph. 
Jacob's well was there, so Jesus, wearied as he was from his journey, was sitting beside the well. It was about the sixth hour. Now, the reason Jesus was going to Galilee was because he was becoming too popular in Judea. Judea was the hub of of Jewish culture. It's where the temple was. It's where the Pharisees pretty much operated. That's where the synagogues were. And so Jesus was doing ministry there, but as you remember, when he healed people and said, hey, don't go talking about this, I won't. Hey, everybody, you know, it was like that. They went, they couldn't stop telling people. And so the crowds were coming out in mass to see Jesus. And, and not only that, it was getting difficult to do what he wanted to do. The Pharisees were getting jealous. They were okay with a crazy guy named John the Baptist out in the wilderness, but Jesus was in town. And they were plotting to kill him. So Jesus says, it's not my time yet. I need to get out of here. I'm going to go north to Galilee. Now, I want to show you a map. If you want to go from Judea there at the bottom to uh, Galilee, the region up at the top, what's right in between the two? Samaria. You're going to have to go right through Samaria unless you're going to go walk the beach on the coast. It's a Mediterranean coast, that blue stuff on the, on the left. On the right here is the Jordan River. Typically, that's the route the Jews would take. They would go out of their way, go around the Jordan River on the other side, go all the way up to Galilee because they didn't want to put their feet on Samaritan soil. They didn't like the Samaritans, and yet Jesus says had to pass through there. Had to. Why? He has an appointment with a woman. Now, what's the big deal between Jews and Samaritans? I mean, you can kind of identify. uh, When you look at uh, rivalries, say in sports, they have their sport in common, and oftentimes they're in the same division, and they just despise each other. So, like, the Broncos don't have arch, the the Bears aren't their arch enemy. Who is? The Raiders, maybe even the Chiefs, okay? Why? They, 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 They live in the same division, and they play the same sport. They're fighting for the same thing. You can go into baseball, and there's the Yankees and Red Sox. Go into college sports. You got Auburn and Alabama football. They're in the same state, same conference. I mean, there's something in common, but the differences really polarize them. It's like in, in uh, Ireland with the Protestants and Catholics. Don't they both love God? And yet they're constant fighting, even when a peace agreement was made. I just saw a study this week that showed they still have not intermingled. Protestants do business with Protestants. Catholics do business with Catholics. It's so hard to break down those barriers between us. And Jesus came on this day to break some barriers. He is going into Samaria. And in order to understand the conflict, you have to go back in history, back to Solomon's reign. When Solomon was king over Israel, he uh, married all these women of different lands, and they began to influence him in his worship habits. He became an idolater, started worshiping their gods. And God said, enough, I'm taking the kingdom from you. That is not even gonna remain in your family. I'm gonna give your son uh, Rehoboam two of the tribes, including the tribe of Judah. That's the, priest, that's the kingly tribe. And I'm going to give the other 10 tribes to a guy who wasn't even family. His name was Jeroboam. And so Rehoboam says, well, I'm going, to, I'm going to go to battle against Jeroboam so I can get those people back. And God actually told him, don't do this. This is my doing. And God had told Jeroboam, if you walk in the footsteps of David, I will bless you. And yet Jeroboam knew that if his people would go down to Jerusalem, that they would start to worship at the temple and and very possibly rejoin the Jews there. See, that the tribe of Judah and Ephraim, those two tribes down there became known as Judah, 
The 10 northern tribes became known as Israel. And you see those two kingdoms operating through a large part of the Old Testament. Well, over the course of time, the Assyrians moved into uh, the northern area because every king that followed um, Jeroboam, but by the way, Jeroboam created his own religion, basically. He took some of the remnants of Judaism, took some teachings of the Torah, but says, we're not gonna go down to Jerusalem. We're gonna build our own temples, create our own priesthood, have our own sacrifices and festivals. And on top of that, I'm gonna install two golden calves because we all know it's the golden calves that got us out of Egypt. Bad move, bad move. And so eventually God said, I had enough, brought the Assyrians from the north to come in and ransack the northern areas and actually um, populated with some of their people. And then when they intermarried with the Israelites up there, they created what was a half-breed. That's why the Jews called them dogs. Meanwhile, the other group, the Judah, also strayed from God. God brought the Babylonians in later to take them, took a bunch of them captive to Babylon. And then when they were released 70 years later to come back and rebuild the temple and the walls around the city, that's the books of Ezra and Nehemiah. When they did that, do you know who opposed them? The Samaritans. We don't want you guys back here. And so there's this constant conflict that was going on even in Jesus' day. Jews had nothing to do with Samaritans. They wouldn't even talk to them. They would avoid them at all costs. When Jesus was doing his ministry, he was one time called, you're demon-possessed and a Samaritan. That's not a compliment, by the way. It was, it, was a, it was a derogatory term. But Jesus said, that doesn't bother me. We're going to Samaria. I've got an appointment with someone. Well, while they're there, Jesus sits by the well. And it's sixth hour, it's about noon. Disciples need to get some food. But, but Jesus has a mind on another kind of food. In fact, Jesus is thinking about what really nourishes the soul. And there's two metaphors used in this story that I want you to focus on uh, because one has to do with what we drink and the other has to do with what we eat. And Jesus is presenting a new diet. I call it the diet that delights. It's a spiritual diet. It's food for the soul. And it's never going to get you into skinny jeans, but I'll tell you this. It will get you into heaven. Okay? We'll get you into heaven. And it's really all about doing God's will and joining him with his mission here on earth, first in our own lives and then also in the lives of others. So here's how the story unfolds. It says, a woman from Samaria came to draw water, and Jesus said to her, give me a drink, for the, the disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, how is it that you, a Jew, ask a drink from me, a woman of Samaria? For Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that is saying to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. And the woman said to him, sir, you have nothing to draw water with and the well is deep. Where do you get that living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob? He gave us the well and drank from it himself, as did his sons and his livestock. And Jesus said to her, everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks of the water that I, I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, sir, give me this water so that I may not be thirsty or have to come here to draw water. First, let's talk about the water, the living water that, quench, that quenches your thirst. The disciples have gone into town. They're going off to find something to eat, looking for the nearest Taco Bell to grab some, some stuff to bring back. Jesus, meanwhile, sits at the well, Jacob's well, which is at the foot of Mount Gerizim, one of the holy spots. In ancient um, Middle East, 
The mountains were where the gods dwelled. And that's why there's, you know, uh, Mount Zion and, and all these mountains were, were very significant to them. They have Mount Gerizim. And so Jesus is at this well. It's at the foot of the mountain. And this woman comes to draw water, and Jesus asks her if she could get him a drink. And she says, what are you doing? You guys don't talk to us. Why are you talking to me? And Jesus um, uses the analogy of water. It's like he has his own well of, of analogies that he uses all throughout his ministry. I mean, Jesus can take common things and teach great kingdom principles. That's the first thing I want to bring out of this is the familiar things will help us learn about the faith things, faith lessons. Connecting something we already know with something we don't know. That's good teaching. It helps the mind to transfer. So Jesus would take common elements, seeds, farmers, casting nets, sheep and goats, um, all those kind of things to, to help people then learn kingdom principles. The kingdom of heaven is like this thing, and, it, and then it translates over. So last week, great example was uh, Nehemiah's, uh, excuse me, I keep calling him Nehemiah, it's Nicodemus. Nicodemus cannot grasp the Holy Spirit. And Jesus says, well, think about the wind. You don't see where it comes from or where it goes, but you see what it does. Oh, that must be like the Spirit. That's right. And so here Jesus starts teaching about this water, this water that is called living water. Now, living water refers to moving water. It's like fresh water. It's not stagnant water. It's not a pond. It's, it's like a brook. It's like a, a bubbling fountain. It's fresh water. And that fresh water is actually filling the well, Jacob's well. It's how they, how they replenished that. It was from a natural spring. And she says, well, you didn't bring a bucket. How are you going to get water out of there? Uh-huh. Oh, you have a different well you're going to get water from. And Jesus says, no, it's neither of those. It's something different. See, we need water, and we need living water. It's God's perfect beverage. Um, a couple years ago, I was preaching at the early service, and I got a little dizzy, so I grabbed a chair, sat down, and afterwards, I talked to a nurse in the church and said, yeah, real lightheaded during my preaching. She said, yeah, I get lightheaded during your preaching, too. I said, no, not that. <laughs> I said, I was getting dizzy, so I sat down, and she said, what did you drink this morning? I said, well, I had two cups of coffee before I came to church. She goes, what else? I said, that's it. She goes, that's the problem. You need water. Your body needs water. Coffee and tea are diuretics. You need water. Water is the perfect beverage. By the way, a year ago, since we were spending so much time at home during this pandemic, we decided we're gonna get a water service because uh, I don't have, at the church I could use the water here, but I don't, I'm not a big fan of wide-filled water. So we got that and we're going through these big jugs of water now and it's great. I mean, I don't hardly drink soda ever now because water is so good, it quenches the thirst. And the water, this living water, is symbol, uh, a symbol of the Holy Spirit. Living water is the gift of the Spirit. And when you think about it, this is an analogy that plays out a lot in Scripture. The Holy Spirit is compared to water. For example, when the Holy Spirit is given on the day of Pentecost, it is poured out like a bucket, poured out. Uh, the Holy Spirit moves like water, it flows. The Holy Spirit can wash and cleanse. And so uh, this is representation of the Holy Spirit. Now, how do I know that. How, maybe it's something else, this gift of God. Maybe he's just talking about eternal life. Well, it wells up to eternal life, but a, a little bit later in Jesus' ministry, he actually makes it very clear. He says in John chapter 7 that on the last day of the feast, the great day, Jesus stood up and cried out, if anyone thirst, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of what? Living water. What is living water? Well, John says this. Now, this he said about the Spirit whom those who believed in him were to receive, for as yet the Spirit had not been given, because Jesus was not yet glorified. 
What Jesus is saying is the Holy Spirit will become in you like a fountain. You don't have to go to get it. You don't have to go to church to get the Holy Spirit. You don't have to go to a revival to get the Holy Spirit. You don't have to have someone go and pray over you to get the Holy Spirit. It will become in you a flow, a regular flow that will nourish and refresh you. And it'll be with you always. That's what Jesus is, is saying to her. This, this water is right there for you. But what you have to realize is I am what you're looking for. What she is craving for, what we are craving for, can only be satisfied with a relationship with Jesus. It's only satisfied with Jesus. He, he wants to reveal her, her thirst and her failure to quench the thirst. So he says, go call your husband and come here. The woman answered him, I have no husband. Jesus said, you are right in saying, I have no husband. For you've had five husbands and the one you are with is not your husband. What you have said is true. And the woman said to him, sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. Our fathers worshiped on this mountain, but you say that in Jerusalem, it is the place where people ought to worship. Jesus said to her, woman, believe me, the hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. You worship what you do not know, we worship what we know, for salvation is from the Jews. But the hour is coming and is now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father is seeking such people to worship him. God is spirit. And those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. The woman said to him, I know that Messiah is coming, he who is called the Christ. When he comes, he will tell you all these things. And Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am he. He, he points out, lady, you've gone through relationship after relationship, like outfits, like shoes. And you keep think, thinking that the next one's going to be the one to make your life complete. And it's not. It's just a cycle. It's a cycle. How many, how many of you have gone through life thinking, man, if I could just marry that man, if I could just get, marry that woman, you know, I'll be fulfilled. That, that, that'll answer everything. That'll complete me. And, and marriage is beautiful, and marriage is wonderful, and marriage is hard, and it can bring out a lot of darkness in your own life. Marriage is a great supplement to something even greater that you need. But what you need isn't a spouse. You may think, well, pastor, it's not, I don't need a relationship. I need success. I need material things. Um, I, I need, something else is going to really make my life complete when I get it. Or maybe it's something that's kind of negative, you know, overeating, drugs, alcohol. If I can just have that thing, that gets me through life. And all these things that we try to do to fill that place in our lives doesn't work. It's like, it's like these words from Jeremiah speak so true even today. For my people have committed two evils. They've forsaken me, the fountain of living waters, and hewed out cisterns for themselves, broken cisterns that can hold no water. You guys can keep looking and looking, God says, but you're looking in the wrong place if you're not looking to me. And she's pretty close because she realizes it has something to do with worship and who you're worshiping. She says, well, we have our God and we worship him here and you guys have yours, you worship him there, but uh, I don't know which is right. And Jesus says, you know, there's a time coming when those who worship will worship in a new way. It's all about spirit and truth. It's all about sincerity of heart. It's all about God's truth, not man-made opinions, not the teachings of men. And Jesus is presenting her what God desires. God is spirit, and those who worship him must connect with him that way, not through rituals and not through washings and those sorts of things. You know, the other, uh, on Friday, I was 
doing some sermon work in the morning. My wife was away doing taxes for the day, and I said, I'm going to crank the music up because she doesn't like it real loud, but I do. So I cranked it up in the house, put out uh, on TV it's called, uh, a thing called Revere Worship, where it's kind of a live worship experience. It, you just enter into it where they are. And so I turn that on, and immediately they're singing Waymaker. And I start singing with them. Then it follows up um, with another song, the song, Worthy of It All. You're worthy of it all. Worthy. I can't get away from the TV. And I'm just there singing out loud in my room with this blasting song, and I'm worshiping with all those people on the TV that are worshiping, and it just felt so refreshing and filling and cleansing all at the same time. And it just reminded me, you don't have to go to church to worship. You don't have to go to the mountain to worship. You don't have to wait till Sunday to worship. You can worship any place at any time because God is everywhere at all times. And sometimes the best thing you can do is just stop. I'm put on some Christian music. And this week, there were a lot of hard things that I was trying to process in, in, my, in my mind. And it was so good just to say, God, I'm just going to focus on you. It was like I got pulled in like a magnet, like, like a paperclip to a magnet drawn into worship. I think God wants it to be that way. I think he wants us to be drawn uh, right to him, to sit in his presence, to, to worship him, and to be at his feet. And this woman is sort of grasping it, but she says, you know, when, when the Messiah comes, I'm sure he'll make this all clear. And Jesus says, you don't have to look anywhere else because I'm him. I'm him. I'm what you're thirsting for. I'm what you're looking for. I'm the anointed one. He fills the thirst. You know, some of you may be here today and not realizing that it is Jesus that you're thirsting for. It's his presence in your life through his Holy Spirit that you're really craving. It's not religion. It's not just attending church. It's just not, not just watching a service online. It's not just going through rituals. It's really connecting with him in a very personal way, putting your complete trust in him, surrendering all of you to him. And her life is, is in the process of changing dramatically, as we'll see. So there's living water. That's part of the diet. The other part is the secret food that satisfies your hunger. Uh, let's go on with the story. Look at the disciples. It says, just then the disciples came back. They marveled that, that he was talking with a woman, but no one said, what do you seek or why are you talking with her? So the woman left her water jar and went away into town and said to the people, come, see a man who told me all that I ever did. Can this be the Christ? And they went out of or then went out of the town and were coming to him, or they went out of the town and were coming to him. So meanwhile, the disciples were urging him, saying, Rabbi, eat. But he said to them, I have food to eat that you do not know about. So the disciples said to one another, has anyone brought him something to eat? And Jesus said to them, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. Do you not say there are yet four months, then comes the harvest? Look, I tell you, lift up your eyes and see the fields are white for harvest. When the disciples come back, I mean, Jesus just finished his conversation with this woman, and they start uh, regathering. They got their carry out, and uh, they tell Jesus, hey, time to eat. Come on, Rabbi. Uh, we got you a crunch wrap supreme and some nacho fries. He goes, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm okay. I already ate. I already ate? What? Who got you food? You know, what's going on here? And they're totally oblivious, oblivious to the fact of what Jesus was doing there. The spiritual work he was doing, which he said was his food. My food, he says, is to say yes to the Father's will. That if I'm busy doing God's will, I can actually lose my physical appetite. Because it's so filling. And see, so many people have no idea what it's like to live for God and say yes to his will. And that's what our mission as a church is, helping more people more often say yes to God. 
Because there's something that happens, and I've experienced this so many times where I'm caught up in something, some kind of ministry that says, I'm not even hungry. Not that my body doesn't crave a little bit, but I'm so filled by what God is doing as I'm being obedient to him that it's a, a beautiful experience to have. And I want to run with this food analogy for a little bit to challenge you. First, to try something different. You know, we get into ruts with food. We eat the same food all the time, go to the same restaurants, order the same items off the menu. I like to be a little more adventurous. I like to try something new. So sometimes I'll see something and go, ah, oh, that sounds interesting. A few months ago, we were um, out east, and I said, hey, let's try these boiled peanuts. I've heard about them. Yeah, um, they're not for me. Um, <laughs> Not, I, I'd rather have the regular peanuts. It's just in like the, why are we boiling these things? They're soggy, they're squishy. Um, but some people like them and you may like them. Wonderful. Uh, that, that didn't go well. But something that did go well for me was I saw on the Smashburger um, side list, Brussels sprouts. Don't do that. Don't say that. Yeah. I, I grew up thinking that. My dad would boil them and they stunk the house up. And so uh, these, he would grow, you know, Brussels sprouts and we and he'd be the only one that ate them. So I said, you know, if a fast food place is selling these, it gotta be kinda good. So I ordered some, and they were good. They were cooked in olive oil, seasoned, um, not mushy, not stinky, just very good. Now, not everybody in my family likes them, but I do. I like Brussels sprouts. I like going on mission trips and trying new kinds of food. The reason I'm sharing this is because you and I, on a spiritual level, get into a rut of, of doing the same things in our faith and hanging around the same people all the time. And the people we hang around with look awfully like you. Jesus crossed two barriers. The barrier between genders and the barrier between races. And you know what's so amazing? Is the disciples came back, didn't interact with the woman, treated her like they grew up knowing how to treat her, just ignored her, and went to Jesus. And it made me think, how many times in our lives have we gotten so used to ignoring certain groups of people that we don't even notice it anymore? Little children come through the foyer, you don't even notice them. You never interact with them. Or if you're younger, you see older people, and you've just kind of blocked them out. I don't talk to old people. Or you see someone with a handicap, someone in a wheelchair, someone with autism, and you go, I don't interact with those kind of people. I don't know what to say. So we get in our own little bubble. How about racially? When's the last time you walked across the room and introduced yourself to someone that, that looks like they're from a different place than you or different um, upbringing than you, different economic class, educational experience than you? When's the last time you've done that? We are so used to gravitating to be around people like us. I have to tell you a neat experience that happened Friday. I went to the Fountain Regional Park with my grandsons. I had my littlest one who had never gotten to take to the park. So we went there, ran around. He was so good. He was so outgoing. And I'm videotaping him. And you can actually hear on the videotape a voice in the background saying, hey, I think that's the pastor from our church. <laughs> so after I got done videotaping, I turned around and there's this uh, 10 or 11-year-old boy. His mom says, hey, uh, my son's been waiting to talk to you. I said, oh, sure. He says, I, I go to your church. I said, oh, that's wonderful. Um, I, he said, what do you have to do to become a pastor? Because I think God wants me to be a pastor. I said, already? 11, you know, 11 years of age? And so I, I gave him some suggestions. I said, I said, memorize the books of the Bible, all the content of the Bible. You know, if you do that, no, I, I just said, get, get, to know the, get to know the Bible, go to church, get to know the Bible, uh, go, worship him and pray. He said, that'd be a great start. Just, just build up your disciplines um, he said, well, my, main, my name's Malachi. It comes from the Bible. I said, I know that. That's a great name in the Bible. And then his mom said, hey, he, he's been wanting a picture with you. 
So I took out my phone and I snapped a selfie with him. And then um, I posted it on her mom's Facebook page. By the way, mom and dad got baptized here a year ago. So I posted on her Facebook page. Later that night, I, I find that she's commented and she says, got to meet the pastor of our church at the park today. My son said it was the best day of his life. I said, wow. I said, I know people say that every Sunday at church, but that's the first. <laughs> For a kid to say something like that. For a kid. I mean, it was just, uh, it, it was very touching. And, and I thought, you know what? That kid just crossed a barrier to come talk to an older person who's probably hopefully more spiritually advanced than him and willing to have a conversation. So when's the last time big people in this room went to talk to a child about their walk with the Lord? I mean, we've got to cross these barriers. We've got to cross. Try something different. Um, Edwin Markham uh, wrote this poem. He drew a circle that shut me out, heretic rebel, a thing to flout. But love and I had the will to win. We drew a circle that took him in. Embrace people in your circle. Secondly, uh, the best advertisement is a satisfied customer. You know, when someone goes to a restaurant and eats food they just really love, they start telling all their friends about it. Like, you gotta go to that place, they have the greatest food. I mean, this woman goes away from Jesus, who just talked to her about living water, goes back into the village, and she starts to share with people because she's so excited about what Jesus has done for her. Have you lost that enthusiasm to tell people about Jesus? Because if you have, you're not eating well. You're not eating what you should be eating because when you are, are fellowshipping with Christ, when you're walking with Christ, you can't help but want to share with others. And what a great time with Easter coming to say, you know what, I've got friends, family, classmates, people at my work, I'm just going to reach out to and invite to come on Easter Sunday or Good Friday service. You know, you're the best advertisement, a satisfied customer. And then know that there's a feast being prepared. When, when Jesus looked over the, the hill, he saw people from the Samaritan village coming out to meet him. They want to see him. And Jesus says to his disciples, you know, typically you plant and then four months later there's a harvest, but I'm telling you, someone's already planted and look over there. That's the harvest coming. That's the harvest. You know, uh, this past year has been a rough year. And I was meeting with pastors about 10 days ago, and there's a general consensus among the pastors that we are entering a season, probably the next two months, that are very critical in the lives of many people. Because during these next two months, people are going to make a decision whether they're going to re-embrace church or not. And see, people who've been away because of the pandemic are either going to feel like, hey, it's getting safer, I feel comfortable, I'm going to go back. But there's going to be others, a large percentage of others who are going to say, I kind of like this online thing. It's very convenient. I can fit it in my schedule. I can go to the mountains. We can watch it later. I can watch the ball games, then tune it in. But it's, it's not the same. It doesn't have the same impact as when you have a, have a set time that I worship, that I meet with the body of Christ. And people are going to compromise and settle for something less. But then there are other people who are going to say, you know what? It's been a rough year and I need something more. And maybe that's found in God. And they're going to show up. And over the next two months, people are going to set their new routines of what will their spiritual lives be like. And you and I have the opportunity to help people get reconnected with God. You know, um, this, this whole story is very powerful. In fact, uh, I want you to see how it played out in the movie, The Chosen. And so watch the screen. And this is the last part of the last episode of season one. First, go and call your husband and come back. I will show you both. I don't have a husband. You are right. You've had five husbands. 
And the man you're living with now is not your husband. <laughs> oh, I see. You're a prophet. You're here to preach at me. No. Usually the one good thing about coming here alone is I can escape being condemned. I'm not here to condemn you. I've made mistakes. Too many. But it's men like you who have made it impossible for me to do anything about it. How? Our ancestors worshipped on this mountain. But you Jews insist Jerusalem is the only place for true worship. They say that because the temple is there. Yeah. Exactly where we're not allowed. I'm here to break those barriers. And the time is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. So, where am I supposed to go when I need God? I've never received anything from God, but I couldn't thank him even if I did. Anywhere. God is spirit. And the time is coming and is now here. That it won't matter where you worship, but only that you do it in spirit and truth. Heart and mind, that, that is the kind of worshiper he's looking for. It won't matter where you're from or what you've done. Do you believe what I'm telling you? Until the Messiah comes and explains everything and sorts this mess out, including me. I don't trust in anyone. You're wrong when you say that you've never received anything from God. This Messiah you speak of, I am he. The first one was named Ramin. You were a woman of purity was excited to be married, but he wasn't a good man. He hurt you, and it made you question marriage and even the practice of your faith. Stop it. The second was Farzad. On your wedding night, his skin smelled like oranges. And to this day, every time you pass by the oranges in the market, you feel guilty for leaving him because he was the only truly godly man you've been with, but you felt unworthy. Why are you doing this? I have not revealed myself to the public as the Messiah. You are the first. It would be good if you believed me. You picked the wrong person. I came to Samaria just to meet you. <laughs> Do you think it's an accident that I'm, I'm here in the middle of the day? I am rejected by others. I know, but not by the Messiah. And you know these things because you are the Christ. I'm going to tell everyone. I was counting on it. <laughs> I love that line. I came to Samaria for you. 
makes me think that Jesus may be here today for you. You woke up this morning and said, I'm just going to go to church, or someone invited me, I'm just going to show up at church today. Jesus said, I was planning on that. So I had a message for you to let you know you don't have to be worthy enough for my love. I have come to make myself known to you. I'm the living water. I'm the bread of life. I'm the one that you're searching for. And so we want to give you an opportunity to respond to Jesus today. I'm going to ask you to go ahead and stand. And those of you online can even join us as we sing this song. But I also want our prayer partners just to come down right now to be available up front. Because for some of you today, today's your appointment with Jesus. Today is the day he wants to meet you. Today is the day he wants to quench that thirst. You may feel so empty. You may feel like you've been searching and you're hungry and you keep trying these different things. You're crying out to God, I need you. I need something more. And he says, I, I can be everything for you. I can satisfy that thirst. I can fill that void in your life like no one else, like nothing else. And so as we sing this song, you need to know wherever you're from, there's a lot of people here today that are broken, hurting. Just come to the front. This is kind of like an altar here. You can meet with God as you meet with his servants, these prayer partners. And for the rest of us, let's lift our voice to the Lord. So come if you need prayer. Come if you need just some time with Jesus. Jesus.